Well, good morning, Lindsley Avenue. Good morning. Good, morning. good to see everyone this morning. Good to have some visitors. Good to have some additional visitors. And good to see everyone. Glad to have those of you that may be at home joining us. Uh, JT is another shout out to you, but uh, really uh, glad to have everybody here. Next week, we've got a special service planned on the fifth Sunday of any month. We try to do something special. And next Sunday is going to be a Sing with the Understanding Sunday. We've done a couple of those where it will be a song service, uh, but you pay for the song service by listening to me talk about what the words say and what the words mean and the themes behind the songs. Uh, Thurl will have a break from leading singing only because we've got a, a guest song leader coming in, Jay Ball, who was here a couple of months ago, and he will be leading the singing and then we'll be talking about the song. So hopefully you'll be able to join us uh, then. So, so glad to have you here. This morning, uh, I want to talk about something I think is really important. And it's, can I know that I am saved? Can I know that I am saved? And I put the title up in the top and says, really? Because it seems that uh, individuals, if you ask them that question, will often say, well, I sure hope so. That's uh, a response I've heard for years. I sure hope so. But also when I aim it at individuals who may think they're saved, but what does the Bible say? Here at Lindsley Avenue, uh, and I think it's an important concept everywhere, don't pay attention to what the preacher says or what a teacher says or what you've heard all in the past. The important thing is what does the Bible say? What does God say? What does Jesus say? What do the apostles say? What does the Bible say? And compare what you hear or what you've heard in the past with what the Bible says, because that's the only way to know if what you're being told is true. So we're going to look at this and say in Ephesians 2, 4, and 5 in a moment, but can I know that I am saved? So join me here on the study and let's see what the Bible says about this question. If I want to be a member of God's family, if I want to be a follower of Jesus, if I want to be saved, if I want to have my sins forgiven, what does that mean? What does that mean? Does God expect me to do anything, or did he pick me out long before the world ever began and decided, yep, this person's in and this person's not? Does, the, does God expect me to do anything if I want to be a member of his family? If he does, what? If he does, what? Well, what's our problem? You know, day to day, we're, we run into all sorts of problems, and many of us try to fix those problems. Uh, some of those fixes that we attempt are not exactly well thought out. For example, <laughs> you're missing a gas cap on your car. Hey, that's what CDs are for, right? I will not say if this was taken in our parking lot, but uh, sometimes these solutions are not well thought out. Or you got a problem with your rearview mirror. That, that looks a lot like my mirror. I'm always trying to look at how my hair is in the back of my head, but... That's not what that is meant for to solve the problem of a rearview mirror. Or you got a problem with your passenger door, <laughs> all you need is a piece of wood. So these are not exactly problems that have been fixed properly. We all have one problem that's an incredibly important problem, and that problem is sin. Sin is the idea of missing the mark, originally a military term. You're aiming a bow at a target, and you miss it. You're off target. Well, our target was to be the kind of people God wants us to be. 
to be living for God and to do what God has said and avoid things God has said don't do. Sin is when we are off target. It's falling short of a standard. Again, the target, the arrow doesn't make it all the way or wandering off. Right? I'm supposed to be on this road going straight home to God and I'm off in the field somewhere. Or it's a line that God has drawn saying, do not do this, and I step across it anyway. A willful act of doing something God said don't do. And it can be all sorts of things. It can be lying, stealing, being drunk, all sorts of immoral behavior, anything that God has said don't do, and we do it anyway. Well, here's a bulletin. Every single one of us, myself included, have done something God said don't do, Knowing full well, he said, don't do it. We are all without excuse. Every single one of us are without excuse. And that's what it means when the Bible talks about sin being universal. In Romans 3, Paul says, none is righteous, or no one is righteous. No, not one. No one understands. No one seeks for God. All have turned aside. Together they have become worthless. No one does good, not even one. Now, that's a pretty pitiful description of humanity. And if God were able to be depressed, I'm not sure he can, but if God were able to be depressed, this would be something he might think and say in a state of depression. Because all of humanity, every single one of us, other than Jesus, but every single one of us have been in this group that Paul's talking about here. Because in Romans 3.23, all have sinned Fallen short of the glory of God. Now, I think every single one of us would be able to raise our hand because that's me. That's me. But there's good news. There's really good news. And that good news comes from grace and mercy. I did what I wanted to do. I separated myself from God. The wonderful, fabulous news is God wants me back. God wants me back. Back to Ephesians 2, one of my favorite chapters in the entire Bible. Picking up in chapter 2, verse 1. You were dead. Stop again for a minute. That's me. When I separated myself from God, I cut myself off from the life that God can give to all of us. And I'm dead. I am dead in my trespasses and sins in which you once walked. And notice he's using past tense here. That's important. If I'm dead today, if I'm still in my sins and my trespasses, how do I get back to be past tense for me? How do I get to be in the past tense instead of I am dead in my trespasses and sins? Paul's speaking to a group of people where that's in the past. That's what I want. I want the, that to be my past, not my present. You were dead in your trespasses and sins in which you once walked following the course of the world. Among whom, look what he says, we all once lived. Again, these people aren't in there anymore. They're not living with the world. They used to, but they're not anymore. We all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. When I am out here with the rest of the world, living the way they want me to live, there's no difference between me and them. We're all lost. Just like Paul said in Romans 3, all have fallen short of the glory of God. Somehow or other, even though that's where I was, 
Paul's speaking to a group of people who aren't in that group anymore. How'd that happen? But God. Always when you're reading a text, if you run across the word but, pause for a moment and look around in the, in the word, in the Bible. Because there's, that's a contrast between what had just been said and what's about to be said. It's a turning point, which is a wonderful, wonderful word. I remember a job I had where they never wanted the word but to be used. They said, and the building's on fire, but if we, you know, and don't use the word but. Well, the Bible uses it because it's incredibly important. Here's how we used to be, but God, who is rich in mercy for the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our sins, has made us alive together with Christ. We couldn't solve this problem, but God did. Right? The people in the pictures may have thought they solved the problem with the missing gas cap with the CD. They may have thought they'd fix the problem with a missing door. I think a policeman, police officer, might have a different thing to say about whether that's acceptable. I think a ticket would be coming pretty quickly because that has not solved the problem. I can't solve this problem of my choices I made. But God did. God solved it through his great mercy. How did God do this? How did God solve this problem? By the great love that he had for us. In John 3, 16, God loved the world so much. Notice the world. He didn't say his people. He didn't say followers of Jesus. He didn't say people who were pretty good. The world, that's that group of people that Paul in Romans 3 was just talking about. All have fallen short of the glory of God. For some reason, I don't understand. God loved them anyway. And that's you and me. We all have been in that world out there. And if you're still in that world, God loves you just like he loves each and every one of us. God loved the world so much that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not die but have eternal life. So the first step that's necessary to be forgiven by God is to believe in Jesus. If God's going to save people who he picked before the world ever began, if God's going to do it entirely on his own, we don't need John 3.16. God loved the world so much that he saved the people he wanted to, and that would be the end of the whole Bible. No need for anything more. If God's going to just save whoever he wants to, what's the point of the rest of this? Because God would have picked some of us and not others before the world was ever even created. But God loved the world so much that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. Step one, believe in Jesus. The only way out of the world, the only way out of people who have fallen short of the glory of God is to start by understanding who Jesus is, what he did for us, and to believe in the promises that he has given to each and every one of us. Believe in Jesus as the Son of God, as the eternal word who lived and died to give us an opportunity to become a member of God's family. Very important step one. Without this step, Nothing else matters. Nothing else matters. In John 20, verse 31, many things John just said right before this, there are a lot of other things Jesus did that aren't recorded in the Gospel of John. I mean, he didn't record his whole life. 
But look at verse 31. These are written, these things are written down in the Gospel of John that you might believe that Jesus is the Christ, that Jesus is the Messiah, that Jesus is the chosen one of God that he sent to take my place and pay the price for the choices I made, that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing, we might have life through his name. We must believe and understand that we are sinners. We must believe that Jesus is the Christ, the anointed one, the chosen one, the Son of God that he sent to save us. We can't get out of the world headed to destruction. We can't become a member of God's family without step one. Now here's the next question. Is that all we have to do? Is that all God tells us to do? Is there anything else? I just need to believe and then I can keep living the way I want. I can believe and chug the booze. I can believe and lie anything, say anything I want to. I can believe and do whatever else I may want to do. Is that okay? We'll take a look. In Acts 3.19, Peter's speaking here, speaking to a group of people, telling them what they need to do. They understand he's been telling them who Jesus is, but look what else he says. Repent then and turn to God. That's actually the same kind of statement. Repent is another military term. It's an about face. You're headed this way away from God. Turn around. Quit doing the things you've been doing that are taking you further and further away from God. Turn around and start heading back to God. Repent and turn to God. Why? Why do I need to quit doing the things that I'm doing? Why do I need to quit lying and stealing and all these other things that God has said, don't do it? Why? So that he will forgive your sins. So if I believe and I don't turn my life around at all, doesn't sound like I'd be doing what God's telling me to do right here through Peter. I need to believe, I need to understand what Jesus wants, uh, who he is, right, and what he did for me, but I gotta start changing my life and heading back to God. I can't keep living the way I am living if my life's gonna change. So I need to believe and to repent. We were dead when we were living in sin. Living for ourselves would create a problem we could not fix. God sent his son to give us this opportunity to quit being dead and to become alive again. But God demands that we change. You can't be living for yourself and be one of God's family. That's not how it works. You've got to live for God. You can't live for yourself. So step one, believe in Jesus. It's not called a step, but it sure seems like that's probably going to come first. And in a sense, step two is to repent, to change our lives. Why would you change your life if you don't understand who Jesus is? So it makes logical sense that there's some sort of progression. Wow, Jesus died for me? Do I need to do anything else? God says, yeah, repent. Turn your life toward God. Quit living for yourself. Is there anything else? <laughs> the Bible would suggest that we need to confess that we understand who Jesus is. Well, I think that really the examples are we really need to say out loud that Jesus is the Christ, the anointed Messiah God sent into the world to save me from my own choices. You have to confess that Jesus is Lord. He's the ruler of everything. Acts 8.37, when the Ethiopian, when the black man is being taught by Philip and he's been taught who Jesus is, is that riding along in the chariot, he says, here's water, what's going to stop me from being immersed? 
Philip says, if you believe, you may. And he says, I believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God. He confessed and said it out loud. Jesus had also said that if you confess me before men, I will confess you before my Father. That's another really good reason to stand up and say, I believe that Jesus is God's Son sent here to live for me and to die for me. Because I want Jesus to say that. That I am one of his one day before the Father's. Look at Romans 10, 9 and 10. If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, that he's the ruler, that he is the Son of God, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes and is justified, and with the mouth one confesses and is saved. So I would really think at least these three things, I need to believe, I need to change my life from wrong to right, and I need to be able to tell and say in front of other people, Jesus is the Son of God, he lived, he died for me, and I have now the opportunity to be a member of his family. Is that all that's really told of us to do. Anything else? Yeah, when you look, there is another step in its immersion. The word is sometimes baptism. When they translated the Bible in the King James in 1600, they took the original word, baptizo, doesn't matter, baptizo, and they essentially brought it over into English and didn't translate it at all. Kind of hides what's involved in the word. You know, I mean, most of us don't speak Greek. Most of us don't speak Latin or any other foreign language. So if you just bring the word over, then it can mean whatever somebody tells you to mean. The problem is the word meant something in the original. It's kind of lost on us today. It meant to plunge, to dip, or to immerse. You know, we had donuts and coffee back here, right? If I told you to plunge your donut in the coffee, would you leave the donut on the table or put your fingers on the coffee and kind of Bounce it, just drop a little coffee on it? No. If I said I need you to dip the donut in the coffee, would you keep it over here far away from it and say it's dipped? Or, well, no, you would take the thing and you go whoosh, right down on the coffee, probably make a mess. Imagine Oreos. You like Oreos? They're one of my favorite, favorite cookies. Love Oreos. Man, you gotta hide the bag because it'll be empty. I love Oreos. What do you do with an Oreo if you got a cup of milk? Do you take some milk and just kind of Throw it in the air and rub the Oreo underneath it, hoping to catch a drop or two. You take that Oreo and you go whoosh. You plunge it into the milk. That's what the word meant. That's what the word means. So what does God say about this? Well, take a look. Acts 2, verse 36. Peter is speaking to a group of Jewish people who had been in town since the time Jesus was crucified. And some of them had been involved. They certainly knew it happened. Here's what Peter ends his sermon with. He says, all the people of Israel then, and certainly all of you here, he says to them, need to, are to know for sure that this Jesus whom you crucified is the one God has made Lord and Messiah. When the people heard this, they were really troubled. <laughs> yeah. Right? They had been going there, crucifying, crucifying, put him up on the cross. Like, wait. God sent him? You can almost hear the pins dropping going, oh no. Look at the response. They were deeply troubled. Yeah. And they said to Peter and the other apostles, what shall we do, brothers? What? Now look, why are they upset if they don't already understand who Jesus is, right? 
The only reason they're upset is because, wow, he was the Messiah and we said kill him. So they certainly believe. They understand already who Jesus is or else they're going to say, well, so what? Right? Big deal. No, they understand who Jesus is. They believe. What do we need to do? Now, unfortunately, some of our, our, our religious neighbors might say, nah, you're good. But that's not what Peter says. Look what Peter says. They understand who Jesus is. They know who he was. And they're all troubled. What do we need to do? What does Peter tell them? Look at specifically what Peter says. Each one of you must turn away from your sins. The word for that is repent. We just talked about that a minute ago. Each one of you needs to turn away from your sins and be baptized. Remember when you see that word, what does it mean? Think of the Oreo. It needs to get plunged. It needs to get dipped. You need to get immersed. You need to be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. Why? Why? What does he say? So that your sins may be forgiven. Now, if they've already believed, were their sins already forgiven? Well, what does Peter mean here if that's true? If their sins were forgiven, well, they understood what Jesus, who he was. They'd be like, Peter, sorry, we already understand who Jesus is. We don't have any more sins. They were forgiven a moment ago, weren't they? Peter doesn't seem to think so. Because he says, you know who Jesus is. Every one of you has to turn away from your sins, quit living the way you have been, and be plunged, dipped, or immersed so that your sins may be forgiven. Once you believe, you need to repent and be baptized so that your sins may be forgiven. And that baptism is in water. Remember the Ethiopian, the black man. See, here's some water. What's stopping me from being immersed, baptized? You need some water to be immersed. You need some water to be baptized, plunged into water. You're not plunged into milk, right? That's the Oreo. For you and me, it's some water. When we're talking about it, what does that really mean? Well, look again at Acts 22, 16. This is Paul, the Apostle Paul, recounting what happened when he was finally told what he needed to do. Ananias is the one speaking here in Acts 22, 16. and says, and now why do you wait? Why are you still sitting around, Paul? What's taking you so long? Why are you still sitting here? Rise and be baptized and wash away your sins, calling on his name or the name of the Lord. Let me say right away, there's no magic in the water. When we baptize someone, we don't give you a bar of soap. You're not washing away sins as if it's dirt or anything else. The washing away of the sins is what God does when I ask do what he asks me to do. God's the one who forgives. And these verses all say that he does that as we are buried, plunged, dipped in water. Dying to our old way of living and being raised to live as a new person. And there's the key word, forgiven, forgiven. Whoops. Romans 6, 3 through 4, Paul here says, all of us who have been baptized, remember, plunged, dipped, or immersed. I think you'll probably get sad, uh, tired of me saying that, but I'm going to keep saying it. Plunged, dipped, or immersed, because that's what the word means. We're baptized into his death. We were buried, therefore, with him by baptism into death. In order that just as Christ, just as Jesus was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. Nope. I've been to a lot of funerals before. People go into the ground, they're dead people, they don't get up again. Well, when I was baptized, 
something went under the water, it wasn't supposed to get back up. It was buried and should have stayed there. What was buried? What was left behind? Should have been the old me. Should have been the old me. Right? The new me is the one who's supposed to come up out of the water after being buried. It's supposed to be a brand new person. A brand new person. Shouldn't look the same. Shouldn't act the same. Shouldn't be the same as I used to be. What about some other things you may hear? Let's talk about some of these. We just said baptism really does mean plunge, dipper, immerse. What about sprinkling? Well, as you know, we don't talk about really other groups here. I don't, I, I, I don't call names. I don't point fingers at anybody. But I want to say here at Lindsley Avenue, what God wants us to do anywhere is to do what the Bible says. The word used in the New Testament translated baptism or baptize means to dunk, immerse, or plunge. Right? Romans 6.3, we just looked at, illustrates it by getting buried. You know, you don't sprinkle dirt on a dead person and walk away from it. When I had gone before to where they bury people that don't have any family in town, we called his name, it's out uh, west of town here, they don't have any family, anybody. When we bury them, what do we do? Well, we don't take them out of the hearse, lay them on the ground and get a chunk of dirt, throw it in their general direction and walk off. You put them under the ground. That's what the word means. So we don't sprinkle dirt on somebody, so what about it? You know, I don't know. What I know is that the Bible says to plunge, dip, or immerse. So why not do what the Bible says? Anything else that you might do is not what the Bible says. So why would I not want to do what God said? God could have said sprinkle. There's a word for that. It's not the one we used. Remember the Oreo. He didn't say take some milk and sprinkle it over on the Oreo. He said take that Oreo, me, right, and go whoosh. That's what he said to do. So that's what we beg everyone to do and urge everyone to do. Do what the Bible says. Why do some other, I don't know why other people might do something different. We try to do what the Bible says to do. And that's why I would say the Bible says immerse. When it's what it means when it says baptize. What about the sinner's prayer? Most of us have probably heard that one. I see it on TV a lot. Sinner's prayer usually sounds something like this. Now, this is a great prayer. Don't get me wrong. This is a great prayer. It says something like, Dear Lord Jesus, I know I am a sinner, and I ask for your forgiveness. Amen. If you're a member of God's family, that ought to be a prayer, a thought we have all the time. Because even though I am a member of his family, I still do things that are wrong. I'm a sinner, and I ask for your forgiveness. I believe you died for my sins and rose from the dead. I turn from my sins and invite you into my heart and life. I want to trust you and follow you as my Lord and Savior. Thank you for saving me. Well, that's a great thought. But does the Bible say to do this? Is this what, where does this prayer come from in the Bible? Right? It's not in the Bible. It's not in the Bible. No one in the Bible ever, ever prays anything like that to be saved anywhere. We could sit here for a couple of hours. We could thumb through every single page in the Bible and you just won't find it. Don't take my word for it. Look for it. It's not there. What is there is the Bible saying we need to believe, we need to change our lives, and we need to be immersed. Again, think about Peter on 
Pentecost, Acts 2. You individuals, everybody here contributed to the death of Jesus, the Messiah. They understand who he is and they say, whoa, brothers, what do we need to do? Peter says, you need to turn your life around and be baptized so that your sins may be forgiven. He could have said, let's say the sinner's prayer. Now, some of, my, some of my friends and neighbors think this is what you need to do. I love, these, I love these individuals. God loves these individuals. They just didn't do what Peter told people to do. And it's not what the Bible says to do. So just like anything else, especially here, Leslie Avenue, any point else, he said, what does the Bible say? Why not do it? Why not just do what the Bible says? What about those who believe and are never baptized? That's always something that gets brought up. My response to that is, God's the one who judges, not me. I know everybody can say amen, very thankful for that. I don't want to be the judge. Right? I don't want to be the judge. But you got to remember, Jesus is the one in Mark 16 who said, he who believes and is baptized is going to be the one who's saved. What will God do? I don't know. I pray for a lot of grace and love toward people who are confused and don't really ever hear what they're supposed to do. That's none of us. I don't worry about somebody that died in 500 AD on an island in the Pacific. I worry about what I need to do and what my friends and neighbors need to do from what God says in the Bible today. God will do the right thing. That's usually my answer. Whatever that is, God will do the right thing because God is just. Here's an important detail. Every time, every single time, someone is baptized, becomes a follower of Jesus in the New Testament, where there's any detail at all about what happens, baptism is mentioned. No time ever is the sinner's prayer mentioned. Every single time the person was baptized. Sounds like that's really something God wanted us to do, to die to our old way of living, be raised to walk as a new person. There's not a single, here's another important thing, not a single time ever, ever where somebody becomes a follower of Jesus where baptism is missing. It's not there. It's not there. Why not just do what the Bible says? That's always our plea. If we do what the Bible says, we're doing what God says, that's got to be better than doing something the Bible doesn't say or not doing something the Bible says to do. That's why we talk the way we do and teach the way we do here at Linsley Avenue. But another question, can I really know I'm saved? Suppose I have been baptized. Suppose I have become a member of God's family, but I've done some terrible things since then. I was baptized when I was 12 and you just would not believe the mistakes I've made in my life. Do I need to be baptized again? Apparently there are some people in town that are teaching that sometimes. I've had to talk to several ladies and others, but they think, well, if I sin after I'm a member of God's family, after I've been baptized, I've got to be baptized again. Well, the Bible says nothing ever anywhere, no place about being baptized twice into the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. If you were baptized because you understood who Jesus was, you understood you were a sinner, one time for all time. It worked. Somebody said, well, what if it didn't work? 
God's the one that did the working. I don't think he forgot. I don't think he forgot. You don't need to be baptized over and over and over again. Now look, that said, if somebody's really distraught thinking, I just don't think I did what I needed, we will go ahead and do it even though I don't think it's needed. But if you're a member of God's family and you do something that's wrong, you aren't baptized again to be forgiven. That's not what you do. You simply need to come back to God. So how does that work? Two examples. We're nearly done today. In this example, this chart, it's a graph, right? This graph. Suppose that's my life. And any time the line goes up is when I do something God wants me to do. And any time it goes down is where I did something I wanted to do. And let's suppose this is somebody that was baptized. Does this person make mistakes? Yeah. You see places where that line goes down? Yeah. This could be my life. might be yours. This person sins and this person does some things that God wants him to do. What do you notice about the line over time? Does it have a trend? If going up is headed home to God and going down is headed away from God, where's this person headed over time? They're going home to God. So if this is me and I have a place where I've chosen to do something I want to do, what's the deal? We'll look at 1 John 1, 7. If we live in the light, if we walk in the light, just as he is in the light, if I'm living for God and living for him, choosing to do what God wants me to do as much as possible, but I still make mistakes, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus, his son, look at this next statement, purifies us, cleanses us from every sin. If I'm living for God and I confess my sins to God, God's blood will, Jesus' blood will cleanse me from those sins. I get forgiveness by praying to God, taking my sins before God. I don't have to be baptized every other day. The person whose life below is headed home toward God, that needs to be each and every one of us. If you sin, you pray to God, you ask for forgiveness. If it's public, if the sin happened right out here in front of the church building and you're on Channel 5 News and every newspaper and half the town's talking about it, then we usually suggest that you make a public confession of sin and we pray together here about it. That's what we do because that's what God has suggested. Here's situation two. Suppose this person has been baptized. How does this person's life look? Do they do some things God wants them to do? Yeah. There have been some good times, right? But over time, what's the trend of this look like? Are they headed home to be with God? Over time, they seem to be getting further and further away from God, right? I don't want that to be my life. It's quite different. They're living day to day and getting further and further away from God. The point is, if I walk away from God and I don't come back, I don't ask to be forgiven, I don't pray, I, as I'm already a member of his family, I can certainly end up being lost if I keep walking away from God. Remember the prodigal son? He had told his dad, essentially, you're dead to me. Give me the inheritance. And he walks away. The father who represents God doesn't go and drag him back. He doesn't go and say, get back over here. The son goes away. He lives in riotous living. He spends all the money. When he comes back, the son comes back to God. The father says, this is my son who was lost, who was dead and is now alive again. 
That's the way God responds to us. If we walk away from God, that's our, our choice. We have to come to ourselves and go back to God. So am I saved? Can I know if I am saved? Well, let's ask a few questions. Have I believed? Have I repented and been immersed? Then the answer to that is yes. Because that's what the Bible says to do in order to be saved. If not, I need to be. If not, you need to be today. If I have become a member of God's family, but I've wandered away and I just can't remember the last time I said, God, forgive me, I've been a sinner. Then you need to come back to God today. Would you be free from the sin? Would you be free from the consequences of sin? Would you be a member of his family? If so, the opportunity is yours this morning as we stand and sing.